All right, well, we just finished Thanksgiving. I think I've finally digested Thanksgiving, and then, uh, and then Christmas, and all the extra cookies that you eat during Christmas. Spent an hour in the gym yesterday trying to work those off, and uh, didn't work. Um, and then we celebrate New Year's, and uh, so I, I was going to ask, who stayed up the latest? But I know there's a few gamers in the house that just stay up all night anyways, and so it wouldn't be fair. So this is what I'm going to ask this morning. It's kind of a little contest. Who went to bed the earliest on New Year's Eve? I don't know if you guys count. I mean, actually, I mean, that sounded really bad. James and Desiree, you absolutely count. But in this game, since you work at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't know if going to bed, okay. But let's find out. You went to bed at 6 o'clock on New Year's Eve. But then what time did you get up to go to 1 o'clock? So, all right. Okay, so let me see a few hands. If you think you can kind of be in the running, besides they automatically win, but they did get back up at 1 o'clock, okay. All right. No hands on this side? Michael, what time did you go to bed? Three in the morning. Okay, well, I don't think she's going to win. Jamie? 8.30 p.m. You didn't even stay up to watch the ball drop in New York our time. You just gave up on Ryan Seacrest and everybody else. 8.30. The power went out, so you're like... Okay, world's over. I might as well go to sleep. <laughs> 7 o'clock. Okay, wow. I don't know if anybody can beat 7 o'clock. Can anybody beat 7 o'clock? That actually didn't get up at 1 o'clock in the morning? Okay. All right. So for you, I have a Rockstar Energy drink. <laughs> and I don't know when it expires, but it, this stuff's poison anyway, so it's probably going to still be good. Okay, there you go. There we go. Energy drinks. Do people still drink energy drinks? Anybody in here? No, don't raise your hand. Okay. I've heard those things are really dangerous. Can be really dangerous. In fact, yeah, it can be. Hey, here's my prayer for 2020. So welcome to 2020. We're five days in. Feels anybody write that on your check? Yeah? Anybody write checks? I do. Sorry. I still do. 2020, and uh, my prayer is that we would have the energy to do what God's calling us to do, to be what we sang about this morning. Great new song. I know we've sang it, I think, one other time, but the song New Wine that we sang this morning. God wants to do something new, not because of what happened yesterday was bad, but yesterday was yesterday. And God wants to do something new. He wants to pour into us something new. And if we hold out our wineskins, as we would talk about in the New Testament, and if they're old and cracked and they're not working, and you pour new wine into them, what happens? They break and they burst. And all that newness of God falls to the ground. And we can't capture it. We can't hang on to it. And so my prayer for 2020 for us is that we'd have the energy to do what God's calling us to do. And it might be something new for you. In fact, I pray that it is new. 
I pray that it won't be something, well, I've been doing it this same way for 30 years, and sometimes that's really good, and continue to do that. I don't, don't want to discourage that. Not to the point where we say, God, I am not open to do something new because I'm going to hang on to the old. I want to be energized to do what God is calling me to do, calling us to do in 2020, and that's that new thing. And so I encourage you to pray. What is that new thing for you? What is God calling you? What is he stirring in you? I know we're only five days into it, but I, I, I hope that you're thinking about it throughout the week and you're spending time with Jesus throughout the week and it's not just a Sunday thing. That you're opening up his word more than when I encourage you on Sunday mornings. That It's a daily thing. We are pressing into Jesus. Jesus, what do you want me to do? The place where you've called me, the place that you have placed me. In your sovereignty, for some reason, you have placed me in Renton, Washington. That's where I live in unincorporated King County <laughs> is where I live. For some reason, God has placed me here. And so the question is, so why am I here? What do you want me to do, God, in my community? Is it just work? I hope not. If it's just play, I hope not. All those are important. But it's really to know him. And my desire is that people that are around me know him too. And so we need the energy for that. We need the energy to say, God, I want people around me to know you like I know you. In fact, I want you, I want them to know you even more than I know you. Don't you wish that, like for your kids, if you have kids? Don't you want them to have more than what you had? In fact, that sometimes can be so twisted and so tweaked out that we raise up a generation that's hmm, a little soft. I'm not going to talk about snowflakes this morning. <laughs> you know? And so we can get we can kind of go that way, but man, I want people around me to know Jesus even more than I know him. That's so good for us to, to say, man, God, the person that I, you know, the, you have a favorite checker if you go to the grocery store? Okay. I know we have a restaurant locally that only 21 and older can go to. It's a restaurant. Are you tracking with me? And um, we have a favorite we have a favorite server there. We bought her Christmas presents. And we just love on her. And she's amazing. Annie. She's just an amazing person. And just to love her. I want people to know Jesus like I know Jesus. Because people, as we sang this morning, people are battling. They're fighting. And if they don't have Jesus, they don't know how to fight. And so how they fight is they fight this way. And it's ugly when we fight this way. And so when we, when we fight this way, we just, basically what we're doing is we just surrender and we allow him to battle for us. It's so true. It's so true what he's doing. So I'm excited in 2020, we're going to kick off the year. God's really been stirring in me on this whole idea of prayer. And I was like, God, there's so much to say about prayer when we read our Bibles. Where do you, wanna, where do you want us to start? You know, sometimes when you ask a dumb question, you know, God just, you know, he's so gracious with us. And he says, well, why don't you start right here? Why don't you start where, where I taught people how to pray? And so we're going to do that for the next six weeks. Uh, Pastor Alex and I are going to share together uh, with you 
on just what God's put it on our heart and on, on how to pray. And, and this morning I wanted to kind of just introduce the whole idea, like, hey, we're going to talk about prayer. Does it freak you out when we talk about prayer? Does it freak you out? Have you ever been asked to pray out loud? And you're like, oh, don't. or like yeah, just a few moments ago when I said, hey, we're going to pray for our offering, and you thought the guy with the microphone was going to pray for the offering? And I was like, okay, I'm going to just have somebody pray. And I think panic. I think everybody's like looking at me at that moment. And as soon as I said that, everybody went like. <laughs> and the only person that was looking at me was Pastor Alex. And so I was like, all right, poor guy, you're, you're it. When we talk about prayer, it, it stirs up all kinds of stuff in us. And I, I have a buddy. He is brand new follower of Jesus. He, uh, this is years ago. And um, his best friend was killed in a car accident, motorcycle accident. And um, I'd known him. I'd met him just uh, a few times. Didn't, you know, didn't know him. He wasn't my buddy at that time. And I just remember I did, you know, hung out with this group. And um, the next morning, he was here on a Sunday morning. There was a wedding. It happened at a, right after a wedding. And... Um, and he was here the next morning, and I was like, hey, what are you doing here? And so he, he hung out, and he was telling me what was going on, and that morning he gave his life to Jesus. Because he kind of realized that, I thought I was going to live forever, and my best friend is gone now. Um, so I need to find out why I'm here. And so he gave his life to Jesus. He was sitting right over here, kind of where the energy drink section is, and... Uh, <laughs> And he, to his credit, and he's probably, he might watch, his name is Brian, and uh, he actually lived with us for about a year and a half, and it was probably one of the greatest times of my life to have him in our house. Uh, he was so hungry for Jesus, he wanted to grow, he wanted to learn, and yeah, we had our moments. He was huge, he was another giant in the land, and, um, and so... He just dove all the way in. He knew I played guitar. He wanted to learn guitar. He wanted to sing. The morning he got saved over in the energy drink section, the Lord spoke into his life and said, you are going to be a worship leader. The more, I mean, that moment that he got, gave his life to Jesus. And uh, so we learned guitar. He started leading worship. And um, it was awesome. So about a week and a half later or so, ish, that's the word, ish, he got invited to a Seder meal. You guys know what a Seder meal is? That's when you celebrate the Passover. It's the first day um, gearing up into Passover, and you sit down and you have the traditional meal that they have. It was, it was awesome. I wasn't there. I just heard about it. And it, traditionally, the oldest male in the room prays for the meal. And so they get to that point, and they have somebody leading them in this Seder. And Seders are, if you've never done a Seder meal, in fact, we're working on trying to get one this year. We're going to have one. Um, we'll set up tables, and I know somebody, actually, it's uh, Cinnamon's dad. I'm, I'm going to ask him. We're asking him now, actually. And he'll come and lead us. Um, and when you see the Seder meal, what the Jews ate before they left it is amazing because Jesus is in every single piece of it. 
and you just sit here as a follower of Jesus and say, wow, I see you, Jesus, all over this. And it really gives you a heart for God's people, Israel, to pray for them, that they would see Jesus all over it, and not just the bitterness, not just the sadness, not just the heartache, but they would see the hope that when that bread is broken into three pieces and one piece is hidden and the kids go look for it and then they bring it out because they found it, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus was that one that was broken off and put under and then he was brought back to be unified with the rest. Such a powerful picture so they're having that Seder meal, and it was this really holy moment. And so they're getting ready to partake, and, and they said, okay, so our tradition is to have the oldest person in the room pray. And they all looked around the room, and it was Brian, who just got saved, never prayed out loud in his whole life, didn't even know how to pray. Brian was, Brian was good, though. He, could do any, he, he can do any accent you want him to do. So he... Does the traditional thing, well, I think what you're supposed to do is kind of fold your hands, close your eyes, and he says this really simple, profound prayer, and then when he's done, he was just quiet. So you know when someone prays and they're quiet for a little bit, you're like, wow, this person's holy. They are just like so pressing into Jesus. That wasn't Brian. What was happening is he didn't know how to close the prayer. He didn't know what to do. He prays this really sweet, innocent prayer about the meal and about Jesus, and then he's silent. Five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And at that point, people were like, one eye open. And so this is how he closed. And so he, didn't know, he didn't know that you're supposed to say, in Jesus' name, amen, or amen, or thank you, God. And you just, so he just panicked, and he said, bye-bye, Jesus. <laughs> so after this, like, long quietness, it was all you heard was, bye-bye, Jesus. Because I think that's sometimes we panic when we talk about prayer. We can, ooh, all kinds of things stir up. And we're like, well, I can't pray out loud. Let me say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can pray out loud. Because prayer is just simply us communicating with our Father in heaven. So do you close your hands? Do you fold them? Do you lift them? Do you close your eyes? Do you open your eyes? Are you still? Do you sit? Do you kneel? Do you lay face down? Do you pray in English? Do you pray in Uyghur? Do you pray in Russian? Do you pray in Swahili? Do you pray in German? Can I just say this? Yes. Because I think what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to, as Paul says, we're supposed to pray continually. And what that means is we're supposed to have open communication, open dialogue between our Father in heaven and us. Is it something that we write down? Do we write our prayers? Is it spontaneous? Is it something that somebody reads from up front and then you echo? 
Yeah, it totally can be. Because again, it's communication between our Father in Heaven and, and us, His kids. There are some great, great quotes on prayer. And I got caught up. You know, sometimes you'll Google something and you just get caught up in reading. And that was me this week. And I had to, I had to finally stop. But I have eight. I have eight quotes because they're just so rich and so good. So here's the first one. Prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. That's Billy Graham. About as said is about as simple as you can. Prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. So that could be quiet, but that can be also spoken verbally. Does it have to be eloquent? No. Can it just be help? Yes. There's a pastor in northern Oregon. Um, he was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. Been many battles, many dogfights, and uh, in the midst of one of those dogfights, his wife at home was praying for him. And uh, he was a tough guy, rough guy. Um, after one of those battles, he gave his life to Jesus and came home. But he was a, he was a Navy man. He was a, you hear the talking like a sailor whole thing, you know? And uh, he's invited to a Bible study, first Bible study. And they ask him to pray out loud. And he prayed like a sailor. Because that's who he was. He didn't know he didn't know that those were bad words because that's just what he grew up in. And so can you imagine <laughs> being in that prayer circle and someone just starts letting them fly and you're like, now all of a sudden you're praying with your eyes open. <laughs> Trying to figure out what's going on. But really, pr prayer is simply this. It's a two-way conversation between us and God. It really is. This is one of my favorite ones. And it, there's nobody claim, took claim. I almost put my name on it, but says, if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. <laughs> if you only pray when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. Can I just go back to that? If you're a parent or, you know, if your kids only talk to you when they're in trouble, that would not be very fun, would it? The best times with your kids is when you're having fun. And the worst times for me is like when they're in trouble. So God wants that communication with us every single day, every moment. God can handle our doubt, anger, fear, grief, confusion, and questions. You can bring everything to him in prayer. And that was Rick Warren. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, one of the biggest churches in our country. God can handle our doubt, anger, fear, and grief, confusion, and questions. Do you have to have it all together? Do you have to like... Whip yourself up into it and have it all together just for 30 seconds to pray, and then you can like, Bleh, afterwards? No. We can bring everything to him. God speaks in the silence of the heart. Listening is the beginning of prayer. <laughs> I love that. Mother Teresa. So when you pray, sometimes the best thing to do, and I've been doing this a lot more lately, is when I pray, is I'm just quiet first. I can go through my list. I can rip into what I need and what I want and, and all that stuff. But when I sit there in silence first, it's funny how kind of my needs and what I want go away. 
Because really what I need is him. And so when we sit in silence before we pray, so I'd encourage you to do that. If you're asked to pray out loud, take five seconds before you pray. And just let us all like, sometimes it takes 10 seconds for us to catch our breath. Our prayer may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. I love that. Max Lucado, I mean, you might, yeah, you might like his, I mean, I, I like his writing. Sometimes it's a little over the top. I can't read his stuff all the time, but most of the time it's just like, wow, that is so rich. Our prayer may be awkward. And our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of our prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it. Amen. So good. So our prayers do make a difference. Corey Tinboom, you guys know who she is? So her family made the choice to help Jews escape Nazi Germany during World War II, and they would hide them in their house. In fact, she has a book out called The Hiding Place. They were caught, and then they were imprisoned themselves, and she, she was let go later. She lived to 99 years old. And she says this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer what guides us as we step into his presence and we pray and allow him to guide us? Or is it, again, is it just that emergency? Do we always just run to Jesus in our emergencies? That's not much of a relationship. James says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We talked about that in James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. <laughs> in Philippians chapter 4. Well, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about prayer. And so I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. This is another one that kind of we hit panic mode when we open up our Bibles because we're like, I really don't know my Bible that well. That's okay. This is the place of grace. And so if it takes you five, ten minutes to find Matthew, then take five or ten minutes. But we're not going to wait for you. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, if you need a Bible, our head usher, Susan, is walking around and handing out Bibles. It's the first book in the New Testament. Right after Malachi, right before Mark. It's important that we know this book. So you notice the manger is gone. So we fast forward 30 years, and Jesus is stepping into his, quote, public ministry. I just laugh about that because did Jesus wait 30 years to do anything? No. Now, we don't know much about what he did before, and I think God just says, hey, you don't need to know. And so I don't dwell, and what I don't need to know, I don't dwell on it, okay? But I believe that Jesus was ministering the whole time. The whole time he was ministering, loving on people, caring for people, whoever God brought in front of, front of him, whoever God told him to go to, that he was doing that. But it did come to a point where now he's going to step out, and so his first message to the people, public messages, the Sermon on the Mount. And 
someday it'd be awesome to go through the Sermon on the Mount. I think some of us get real excited, but I'll just tell you, if you're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tackles some really difficult topics. Talks about loving our enemies. Ooh, I don't want that. But I actually do want it because if this is what God wants, that's what I want. He talks about giving, what we just, we just, what we just did. He talks about the pain of divorce. He talks about making promises. He talks about murder. And he had some really hard, hard topics. And then he kind of switches gears and he kind of goes into the church and he starts talking about church things like fasting and prayer. And so this is the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, hey, I want to teach you what prayer is. We can, as humans, we can take things and just go to the extreme, right? And make them what we want them to be. Do you capture that? Sometimes we can take things that we hear from God and not do what he wants us to do, but we make them what we want them to be. And Jesus is trying to bring everything back and say, if you, when you pray, this is what real prayer is. And so we're going to read this together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hmm. So every time we pray, are we supposed to say that? See, I believe that is an amazing prayer. And yes, I think we could say that prayer every single day. But I also believe that Jesus gave that prayer to us as an outline, as bullet points. Say, hey, when you pray, maybe one of the reasons why you need to be quiet for the first five, ten seconds is because we're praying to a, the eternal God of the universe. And so we should come to him with recognizing his holiness. And Pastor Alex will tell you more about that next week. I was convicted. Um, I grew up in a church that was, we had our own traditions and our own liturgy. Uh, we were a different denomination than Foursquare. And I love my heritage. I love growing up in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, <laughs> um, because they taught us that, that exact thing, to, that our God is a holy God. And yes, he did say he's our friend. They taught us the importance of his word. And so I kind of think I went through a season when I came here um, of just a new freedom. It was 
so sweet when we for, it's been sweet for 25 years. Just a new freedom, and so I kind of rebelled against that, and I kind of got in a way, like, you know, if you ask me while we're watching the Seahawks game, which I will be at 140 today, if you ask me, hey, can, do you know the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, I could whip it out during that point. But I was at a memorial service that I was asked to do a couple years ago. And, you know, we did the whole service, and it was sweet, and people shared. It was outside in February, and it was sideways rain and sleet, and I'm in my suit coat. I'm freezing. And, you know, like, and it, honestly, you just like, I can't wait to get in my car. And my part was done. I was done. I was freezing. And so all I thought of was, my mind was like, car, get in the car, turn on the heat. And then one of the people said, pastor, they might have called me reverend, can you lead us in the Lord's Prayer? And have you ever had that just moment where you're just like, nothing? (laughs) You know, you ever been there? Like, I know how to, you know, and all of a sudden just, and I was like, we're going to have just a moment of silence. (laughs) And I could barely spit out our father. And then once we got the ball rolling, I just let them go. And they, and we, and we did it. And the Lord just said, yeah, I know it's just an outline and but this is really how you should pray. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. You don't have to get up there and be fancy. And that's why he uses the word in verse 5, hypocrite. Ooh, harmful word. Don't pray like the hypocrites. And what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is just somebody who pretends who they're not. Are Christians called hypocrites? Yeah, you actually hear that. People that don't even know what a hypocrite is, they still call Christians hypocrites. Because what they have seen in the church doesn't line up to what they have seen in Jesus. And so don't be hypocrites, Jesus is saying, who only do what they do to get approval this way. Horizontal approval. Like if you speak well, if you pray well, if you draw attention to yourself, if you wear the right clothes, if you wear bells around, that's that's what they would do. They would put bells around them and they would stand in the street corners and they would rattle and they would move and you could hear them. It was like a Christmas tree. (laughs) And they would pray these flowery prayers, but then they weren't living those lives and they were actually oppressing people instead of helping people be set free. And Jesus was saying, don't be like that. You don't have to have all the flowery stuff. You don't have to put bells on. I have a lot of southern influence in my life, and so you don't have to purdy up (laughs) for Jesus. You just have to come to him as you are. We sang that this morning. We don't have to do all that stuff. In fact, when he says when we do come, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to 
like hide ourselves away. Go into your house and lock the door and, and be in that quiet place. Well, what if you're in a huge, massive crowd and you're like, oh, I need to pray. So do you just run, get in your car and drive home and run into your house and lock the door? No. We should have that place in us that even in the midst of a screaming, yelling Sounders game, that you can have that inner place where you can pull, us, pull aside and say, here I am, Jesus. One of my most, I was sharing this with the worship leaders last week, one of my most powerful worship moments was at the Sounders game. One, like my first time in a Sounders game. Anybody been to a Sounders game? Anybody not been to a Sounders game? Okay. So I'll just tell you this. What happens is the crowd's crazy and they're doing national anthems and all that stuff. It's awesome. But right before, and as the players are coming out, it gets dead quiet. And everybody, for some reason, scarves are big in soccer. So everybody holds their scarves up like this. And so I don't have a scarf. It's my first game. So what do I do? I lift my hands. And it is quiet. And then all of a sudden you hear this massive drum. Boom! Boom! And then everybody claps. And it's quiet. It's so cool. And then you hear it, boom, boom, and you clap. And it starts getting faster and faster and faster. And by the time you're just like, and your hands are hurting by the time you're done. And then and you're just kind of where everybody's working up into a frenzy. And then they kick off, and it's 90 minutes of fun after that. And in the midst of that moment, the Lord was saying, man, I am here. In this crazy crowd, and there are scarves up. I didn't have a scarf. We can pray when everybody else is doing something different, but we can be in that moment in a crowd, and we can have that quiet place. We can have that quiet place. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will do what? He'll reward you. I like rewards. Okay. But what is he going to reward us with? He rewards us with his presence. There's nothing like Jesus. There's no one like him. And in the hardest time, in the most exciting time of your life, there's nothing more than his presence. That is his reward. So when we pull aside, whether we're in a crowd or we're in our quietness, quiet place, he shows up and his presence is with us. We don't have to work it up. We don't have to say all kinds of words. We don't have to babble. We don't have to do all kinds of weird stuff. We just pray and be in his presence. So church, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. This Thursday night, is prayer and worship night from 7 to 8.30-ish or whenever the Teen Challenge guys leave. And it's a time where we have no agenda. When we show up, we have a list of songs. We sing some of them. We don't sing some of them. We sing ones not on the list. It really freaks the people out in the back. 
We have long times of quietness. Sometimes testimonies show up. Sometimes people just start reading the word of God out loud. It's an hour and a half of prayer. It's so sweet. So I encourage you to come. If you've never come, I encourage you to come. Yeah, is it inconvenient? Absolutely. It's Thursday night at 7 o'clock. If I wasn't here on Thursday night at 7 o'clock, I'd probably be home watching TV. What is more beneficial for me as a follower of Jesus? Yeah, to be inconvenienced. But when I'm here, oh man, Jesus is so here. Sometimes we'll sing a song, and this might turn some of you off, so I probably shouldn't say it, but I'll say it. Sometimes we'll sing one song for like 15 minutes and have these ups and downs and like these waves are coming, and you can just surf his presence. Alex isn't the only surfer in the house. He actually probably is, but, but you can just surf in his presence, and it's just, whew, you just feel these waves of his presence. I encourage you to come Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Supplication and soup, January 18th, Saturday morning at 10.30. You're asking me to come to church on Sunday morning? Now you're asking me to come to church and do something on Saturday? Yes, I am. If we want to make a difference, if Renton Christian Center wants to make a difference in Renton, then we need to pray, church. So this is what we're simply going to do. We're going to show up here at 1030. Uh, we're going to talk about the neighborhoods. We're going to get in our cars and drive to some of those neighborhoods. We're going to get out of our cars, and we're just going to walk, and we're going to pray. Then we're going to come back and have some amazing soup and bread that Andrea is preparing for us. And we're going to talk about, God, what, what did you speak to me as I walked through the neighborhood. We did that as a staff a few months ago at the parks. I got some good buddies that live in the parks, and they need prayer over there in the parks. <laughs> Probably one of the more affluent neighborhoods in our community. And as a staff, we walked it, and um, man, you know what the Lord showed me as I walked through that neighborhood? They have cracks in their sidewalks, just like I do in my neighborhood. They're the same people. You know what else he showed me? All the shutters and curtains, windows, were closed. He just showed us so much as we walked through there for like 20 minutes, 15 minutes. We came back as a staff and we talked about it for about 45 minutes. So that's what we're going to do as a church. Is we're going to go out in our community and we're going to pray. And we're going to do this over the next several months. Is it inconvenient for you to come to church on Saturday morning at 10.30? Yes. But if we want to make a difference in our community, then we need to. And if you're like, well, I live in Federal Way, well, then maybe on one of those days we'll drive to your neighborhood and we'll walk through and pray through your neighborhood. These are opportunities for us to get together and pray. So can we stand together? God meets us right where we're at. No part of our messy life scares God. So when we pray, you know, we don't have to stir it all up. No part of our, no part of our mess scares him. Or me falling off the stage scares him. 
So this is what I was thinking about doing this morning. I want us to say this prayer together. We're going to go a little traditional this morning. And this is how we're going to close our service today, is by praying what Jesus prayed and saying this together. And I know I've got it memorized in a different version sometimes, and so, but this is NIV. This is the newest NIV. So we're going to say it together. And I, I'm going to read it. You can read it with me. So can we pray? Can we pray this prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil one. Bye-bye, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, pray this week. Maybe you'll be in a setting where someone says, hey, would you pray for our dinner? I was at a setting this week, and someone said, hey, you're the pastor. Will you pray? And my new response to that is like, I don't do that. <laughs> so, yes, as the pastor, I will pray for our crackers, okay? All right. Have a great week. Be blessed. Know that you are blessed. Live knowing you are blessed today. Amen.